Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another laryngitis-induced episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your very horse host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the glorious masquerade costume to my wearing no mask, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. Holy God, I had to turn you down. Your like, voice is like saw blades through my brain. Not even 100%, and I still single-take your word puzzle there. Your speaking is is like, oh, oh my God, I had to turn you down. I can just feel it reverberating through my skull. I'm sorry. It's what I got right now. (laughs) So, yes, as you can tell, the allergens are out in the air here in the greater Austin area, which means it's time for me to suffer. And suffer I am. This is is actually better than it was this morning, Robert. This morning, as of this morning, I thought we weren't going to be able to do this. Now I can actually make sound. That's a big, big step in the right direction. Is this Aunt Florence? or what's, What's the character you have when this is going on? Oh, uh, Phyllis. Aunt Phyllis, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Phyllis is back, sugar. Now listen, I'm going to give you $5. I need you to go down to the 7-Eleven and get Phyllis the Pall Malls. You know, you make that joke every time with Phyllis. That's who Phyllis is. It's not me, it's her, you know? It is who she is. You need to inhabit that character, and you need to have new lines with the character. You need to have a new... Listen, I just came in from Boca, okay? The stock is low. You know how long a drive that is from here? Apologies to the entire city of Boca Raton. I, I've got nothing. I'm just... <laughs> I, I, I got nothing. I just, I just can't. I just can't. I, yeah. Well, let's get this episode started with a very hoarse thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on and the servers humming and what little is left of my voice croning terribly into your ears can, can i do this like when you're when you're doing the the bit and you've you're like putting energy behind your voice it's like the voice from dune like it has this weird power and it's really upsetting <laughs> <laughs> it's really upsetting i don't know what it is because when we're talking it's fine <laughs> no Because it's not National Have a Glass of Water Day. It's National Eat a Cashew Day. That is right. Okay, you can have the cashew. They're downstairs. They're my my son's favorite. But yes, the cashew nut is harvested from the cashew tree. Originated in northern Brazil, but it's widely grown everywhere with tropical climates. Yada, yada, yada. Look up your cashew facts. Use that hashtag, which I'm looking for because I'm sure there is one. There we go. Hashtag. National Cashew Day. Eat that cashew. I love cashews. I absolutely adore them. They and almonds are two of the staples that I I snack on. I absolutely think that they're the best thing ever. Costco for a while had these wasabi almonds, which were a little too much wasabi for my taste, but I'd cut them with like half half wasabi, half normal. It was mm, it was good. I actually got a snack pack at Costco. It's um, almonds and cashews and everything is coated in like salt and ranch powder or something. I don't know how you make ranch powder, but it's like this lovely little mix and it's super, you know, super low on carbs and stuff. Nice. I like it. I like it. I like it. 
also love macadamia nuts, but man, they're super pricey. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Not a big fan myself, but I, I like cashews and almonds quite a bit. Or as my daughter calls them, the brain nuts. Because she thought cashews looked like little brains when she was a little kid. I don't know why. Don't I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I'll, I'll allow it. So before we get started, uh, sorry about last week. We, we, uh, it was Jonathan's birthday on our normal recording. It was, day. It was and I, had no, I didn't even realize it until like all of a sudden you were like, hey, are we going to record tonight? <laughs> oh, whoops. Thus, it was also my daughter's birthday. And also that day, my daughter got sick enough, I actually went and got her a COVID test, which came back negative. And it was really annoying because, like, the morning we got the results, it's like, oh, you don't have COVID. And she was, like, kind of feeling sick. And then, you know how kids, when whenever their sickness breaks, it just breaks, like, a, into, a, into a finite powder like it wasn't there? Yes. Yeah. I, I just had that experience this weekend. Sophia um, started projectile vomiting like it was the exorcist. And she wouldn't stop no matter what we did. We took her to the emergency room and they said, if she doesn't stop soon, we're going to have to uh, give her an IV to hydrate her. Mm-hmm. Took her home. We thought we'd, we'd nicked it. And then all of a sudden, boom, she started going again. So we're going to take her back to the ER in the morning. And then all of a sudden, like right before we're, leave, we're leaving, she just says, I'm hungry. And she started eating again and everything was fine afterwards. It was like somebody flicked, flicked the off switch. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, my daughter started like climbing up and down the walls because she'd basically been she was like sick enough. She was just sitting in bed all day for four days straight. And then it was just like, it's gone now. I'm good. (laughs) Poor thing. Yeah. So it was I was going to record something with Gina, but we just got distracted and with sick children and birthdays and such. So sorry. Sorry. But let's uh, move us off the shelf, Jonathan. Let's get the show on the road. There's a lot to do. By the way, I just wanted to make a quick shout out before we moved off the shelf. It is uh, November, which means for me it's Movember. If you're friends with me on Facebook, I have been sporting a different styled mustache every single week this uh, this month. And I wanted to take this opportunity to just kind of bring some attention to men's health. It's something that's often stigmatized and it really shouldn't be. And the more we talk about it, the more relaxed we'll be about it. Men's health is an important thing. Heart disease, cancer are the two big things that take men from from the earth. And being that I have family members that have survived things like prostate cancer and they owe their survival to early screenings and, you know, being on top of their health issues. I think it's really important that uh, to all the fellas out there, please take your health seriously. Go get checked. Go get a baseline screening with your doctor. Uh, And for all the ladies out there, any fellas in your life, whether they're brothers Boyfriends, husbands, friends, goes for the, the the fellas too. Any boyfriends, husbands, friends, whoever, look at the other men in your life and tell them to just take a moment for their health and go get a screening, especially starting at age 45. Go get that prostate checked. It's worth it. So there you go. Movember. I got the half hand. I got the half horseshoe this week. All right. Well, it's time for the off the shelf segment. This is, of course, the segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've gotten off of our shelves onto our tables and televisions and all kinds of stuff and into our hearts. Robert, you go first. I need a short break. All right. Because my wife and I, we can't leave anything alone. We watched The Haunting of Bly Manor and uh, and we were talking about it and we were talking about, you know, the book that it's based off of, um, The Turn of the Screw. And we found out The Turn of the Screw actually has quite a few adaptations out there. So we watched two of them because 
the first one we watched is a, a 60s movie called The Innocence, which is pretty good. Um, it's really obvious Mike Flanagan was uh, channeling a lot of that during The Haunting of Bly Manor. There's a lot of shots he stole just like direct and uh, or shall I say homages. He probably did steal them. He intentionally did it. But yeah, it's it, there's a lot of homages in Bly Manor to that movie, which is good. And then there's this other movie that came out in 73 called The Nightcomers. And oh my God, um, came out in the early 70s. It stars Marlon Brando as Peter Quint. And it, it they cast, I forget the actress's name, but she played the doctor on Sequest DSV. She's kind of a well-known British actress. So she played not the new governess, but she plays um, Miss Jessel. About? Kristen West Westphalen. Yes. Oh man, I was so, so in love with her as a kid. So she plays Miss Jessel, and it's like a prequel about what happened to the two of them and why they died. And the movie ends with the new governess coming in. So apparently, there's two readings of the Turn of the Screw. There's the reading of its ghosts, and there's the reading that uh, the new governess is sexually repressed and is acting out psychotically with all of her sexual repression. So the Nightcomers kind of rolls with that other one, the second one. And so there's nothing supernatural going on. And Marlon Brando's character is just aggressive and ew towards, and it, we had a really hard time watching it. And then like the kids end up watching it. And then the brother and sister start doing things to each other. Nothing, nothing. Marlon Brando ties up the woman and then, you know, Miles ties up Flora and it's just like, ah, ah, it was, it was not cool. I was not happy about that movie. It was uncomfortable. And you know, I don't know what it is. I I've seen a couple of Brando movies now and it, I am shocked and amazed that people say he's a good actor. Like I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't, and people, people say his performance in that was, was amazing. They're like, Brando did the Brando thing and it was perfect. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what? I don't know. I don't get it. I, I, I don't get the Brando thing either. I really don't. By the way, that yeah. was the name of the, the doctor in the show. I believe the, the actress is Stephanie Beecham. There, yeah, Beecham. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that rings a better bell. I don't know why my brain instantly went to the doctor and not the, the actual actress. Showing how I value things in my life. All right, Jonathan, I, I've done two. You, you do one of yours. All right, so I rewatched Dune again. Surprise, uh, 84 surprise. Dune? No, 84. no uh, 2021 Dune. You know what? You hadn't watched Dune in the last episode we did. I don't think oh, it was out yet. Have I not? Oh, well, then no. I need to be the first to tell you, you need to go see that in the, that movie in the theater. It is remarkable in the theater. It's worth the trip. It's the first movie I've seen in two years in a theater. Um, I ain't going to the theaters anytime soon, buddy. I don't, I don't care what you're smoking. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing in every way. It's, it's such a faithful adaptation of the book, and it, it does it justice in, in every way. It's okay, not okay. Without, you know what? It's not without a, a, I am, a couple flaws. I am going to debate you right there. I am going to debate you. I'm, I'm going I'm to go out on a limb. It. Hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here. I think that movie was better than the book <laughs> because they made several choices that made it significantly better, which fixed 70s problems. Yeah, I that, will, I will that the book has. agree with that. But that's not to say that it's perfect because there are a couple of issues. I think Huey is, is, is especially completely underdeveloped and, and there really is not enough focus on why he betrays uh, the Atreides. There never is in any version of that. No, I know. And I've, it's a problem. And for all the other problems that they fixed in this adaptation, you'd think that they would have tackled that one, but apparently not. 
And it's, it's, it's really a sore spot for me because it would have been so easy to, to add a little bit more depth there, but they, they do add so much depth to the characters and they make the characters into people, interesting people, people. that Yeah. Yeah. That was a big problem with the original ones. Like everybody keeps talking about how awesome Leto is and why everybody loves Leto and Leto's so great. And like, huh. you never get a sense sounds of that. Like with a, it. it sounds like a TGIF sitcom. Everybody loves Leto. There you go. But you never get a sense of it in the original one. Okay, so I'll one-up you. Me and the wife watched 84 Dune and the sci-fi miniseries Dune. I mean, I've watched the 84 Dune, I don't know, 30, 40 times in my lifetime. Yeah, well, we, we watched it because we watched Dune, and, and, and Gina's like, okay, well, now Your I need to know. name is so a we, killing word. <laughs> we were just talking about that. 84 Dune and sci-fi miniseries Dune, like, you, you don't get why Le- people like Leto. Like, he's just so bland. And then, like, frickin'... Uh, was it Oscar Isaac? That's his name, right? Yeah, he's great. He, oh God, he blew that one out of the park. Like, like you really get a sense of it. Like he's a he's. It's like yeah, yeah. Leo's well, he's, a good dude. He's complicated, and he he thinks about the, the the legacy of his family, but he's still an independent minded person. And I mean, when he turns to Paul and he says that you know you'll be the only thing I ever need you to be, which is my son. Like, oh God, that was a that was a gut punch. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was really good. Like I, the weakest link in every Dune movie, I think, is Paul and Timothy Chalamet didn't exactly fix any of it, but they do this really bad thing in the uh, the the sci-fi miniseries and the original '84 one, which is when Paul first off, Paul's supposed to be like 15, and they get like 30 year olds to play him in all of these movies, and I don't get it. I, I think Kyle McClanahan was like in his 20s. He did not look like a 15 year old boy though. He was yeah no. So at least like they got like a skinny guy to play Paul because. Timothy Chalette is also a 23-year-old man, but at least he's skinny. So he looks young at well, the very least. he looks younger than 20, though. The problem with Paul is uh, in the previous two movies, they are the miniseries and the 84 movie, they make him very, like, act like a little kid. And by acting like a little kid, he's just, like, bratty, you know? Like, like you know what I mean? Like, he, he's just like, oh, I don't want to do knife fights today. Like, he, he kind of, like, while we were watching 84 Dune, I kept doing that. <laughs> I kept using that voice, like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want to take the spice today. I want to go to the spice planet. And, you know, but but that's how they portray him. And Timothy Chalette, I really liked his Paul because when he's doing that, he's just, you know, he doesn't know what he, they're just kind of playing up. He doesn't really know what he wants to do or be. And he's like, it's really weighing on him. But he's actually like got something going on upstairs besides like, I'm rich and I don't want to do this thing because I'm rich. And I don't have to, you know. By the way, um, Corridor Crew did a breakdown of the VFX in 2021 Dune and 1984 Dune. Holy crap. Like, you don't realize just how much effort they put into that 1984 movie. Like, there's, there's, holy, wow, they really did a lot of work on that. Maybe they should have done more work on the acting. Oh! Probably should have started with the script. Oh! Yeah. (laughs) Truth. Oh man! All right. Well, I, ju- why I the, just uh, why is the navigator? The navigator looks like a cashew with light coming out of it. I thought it looked like a, a grown man fetus. That was my thought. That was my take. Looks like a hundred and thirty year old stuck in um, formaldehyde testicle. And I like how it like vomits up space travel. That's fun. Oh yeah. Hey, where are you going, uh, Arrakis? Hold on. Let me just go ahead and puke that up. Hold- I've got it in here somewhere. <laughs> Now I have this vision of it like barfing my, like a cat. Yeah, you know, it's it just like my dog. Like, <laughs> it's like my dog. He can he can eat something that he's not supposed to, have it inside of him for three days, continue eating food and pooping, and then all of a sudden, bleh, just coughs it up one day out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's Arrakis. I thought I lost it. 
Anyway, the new Dune, I liked it. It was good. I've decided that I, I'm going to name the third stage guild navigator in the 1984 Dune. His name is Pepe. He's just floating around in there, floating in the, the, the formaldehyde. Uh, he's like a tequila worm. Vom- vomiting up planets. Space travel. He vomits space travel, Jonathan. Come <laughs> I think on. that might be the episode name. Vomit space travel? Yeah. <laughs> but make sure there's no par- there's there's no comma, because that would change it. <laughs> All right. Well, that knocks another two off my list, because we watched uh, 84 Dune and the sci-fi miniseries Dune. Sci-fi miniseries Dune has not aged as well as I remembered it. <laughs> Kill the child. She is an abomination. Oh, that was great, though. I liked Get it. Get out of my mind. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> it's so bad. It's so, so bad. It's freaking brilliant. Yes, it is very brilliant. So, because Mike Flanagan and, and I'm apparently obsessed with that man now, uh, he's doing a adaptation of The House of Usher. Uh, they have announced, and it's not going to be stoked. the third season. It's not going to be the third season of The Haunting. I found out it's going to be a different thing. So anyway. Uh, because it was Halloween and I, I was like, I figured out that my wife actually likes horror movies if they're not complete garbage. Uh, we went and tracked down the movie version of The House of Usher because it was on our library streaming service. And so we watched the 1960 Roger Corman classic, The House of Usher, <laughs> starring Vincent Price and other people. And I got to say, like... I found out later they made like eight movies based off of Poe novels. And it's like after that first one, I get why the house of Usher was really, it held up really well. I was really surprised because it it was just weird. Like, like, like Adam's family weird. Like, like just the whole mood was like, the hell is going on here? And why is everybody obsessed with death death? And it's, it's just, it was just odd. And, but it was captivating in this weird way. I, I, thoroughly enjoyed it i was very surprised vincent price wasn't just being vincent price you know he was being like well he was kind of being he was only kind of being vincent price which is an improvement for most of his performances he didn't go full price no no he went half price and and then he went like half death obsessed rich guy price and that and it, it worked it worked like that character worked with the way he vincent price just is it was it was it was surprising i i will recommend that roger corman movie we then moved on to watch Mask of the Red Death, which was awful. We also watched like the first five minutes of The Raven, and that turned out to be a comedy. It turned because like it starts like the poem The Raven, and then when the Raven's supposed to say nevermore, it starts talking in like a New York accent. <laughs> no joke. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Do not recommend either of those. But the House of Usher, or I think it's just called House of Usher. Color me impressed. I I was not expecting it to actually be legitimately interesting to watch, and it was good. I I would even I would even go so far to say, Jonathan, you should try to put that in your watching repertoire somewhere if you can find it streaming. I'll see if I can. If you let me know who has it for streaming, oh, yeah, I will even rent it. You know what? Hell, hell, hell. We 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 live in the future. House of Usher. Uh, it is apparently only available to rent at the moment. It's on Canopy, so I guess your library sucks. I don't know if Canopy's free. I don't know. Look that up. I get to watch 20 movies on Canopy for free every month because my library is awesome. It's really awesome. Yeah. All right, Jonathan, what's something else you watch? Uh, let's see. I also watched um, Squid Games. Well, I'm, I'm almost done with Squid Games. I think I have two episodes left. It's nice. a messed up show. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. I, I, I'm going back and forth on if I want to watch it or not. It's. I, I, I mean, I, like, it's compelling. I want to watch it to the end. I'm very curious about some things, but wow. I mean, like, it's seriously screwed up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, the genre is like that battle royale, 
genre and I've never been, that's never been my cup of tea. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't like the others though. And then beyond that, I watched uh, midnight mass speaking. Oh, you of, finished that up? Yeah. Oh man. I really enjoyed that so much. That was so, yeah. so good. It got a little monologue heavy. I think I, Mike needs to I didn't mind. I thought it was I, really I think, good. I think he needs to pare back that dial a little bit. I think, I think it never quite wore out. It's welcome. But I checked my cl- watch a couple times. I'm like, God, Flanagan, how long has this been going on? Just it's not it's, it's a little too much. There's there's I mean they were all good and they were all interesting monologues, but I, it just I got knocked out a couple of times, uh, especially and it's like the episode it shouldn't happen on. It was when um, I can only think of her as Theo. I can't remember her character's name in that Theo and and uh, Flynn, the main character. They, they, they monologue twice at each other. And I was just like, oh, people don't talk like this. You don't just sit there and listen to someone talk for five minutes. That's just not how things work. Yeah, I'll see you there. That, that makes sense. But I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. I, I did too. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I just, yeah, just pull, I, it was still very good. I just think he needs to pull that dial back just a little bit. He, he overdid it. But he, did you get the sense that he was just trying to work something out and that whole thing? <laughs> Dude, I like, get that sense in every single one of his projects. But that one especially, like he he had some issues, man. There, there was some personal stuff he was working on on that one. Like that was that was like inner monologue, like different facets of Mike Flanagan fighting each other. I don't know who won. It makes but for it damn good TV, though. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. And then finally, because it was Halloween and and uh, we're coming up on Christmas, we have watched Nightmare Before Christmas like I don't know eighty seven times. Nice. Amelia's really into it, so we're watching it a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens with little kids. Yeah, nice. that, and she's rewatching Beauty and the Beast like over and over, and, and Mulan. Those are her two favorites right now. Nice. So the new season of Star Trek pro or the premiere of Star Trek Prodigy happened. It is a kids show, and I keep having to remind my wife that it is not designed for us. Like that, it is a kids show. Uh, I am enjoying it. The main problem with it, there's this main character. He's like the the central main captain character. He's this purple alien. Uh, I kind of hate him. I kind like the everybody else around him is is fantastic in that show. But the main character, he just needs to shut up. He just needs to stop talking as much. He's supposed to be like have bravado, but it's just annoying. But it's nice to hear uh, Captain Janeway again. That's fun. Uh, and then last but not least, Jonathan, we were on our canopy watching odd horror movies, and I heard that Christopher Lee played Dracula seven times in Hammer films, but he played Dracula eight times total. And that's because I don't know who he owed a favor to or who, what went on, but this Italian director, I think he's Italian, who filmed a movie in Spain, got Christopher Lee to play Dracula in his adaptation of Dracula by trying to con him into the idea that it was going to be a very faithful adaptation and that Dracula would have a mustache. And that's apparently that's what November. Yeah. And apparently that's what got Christopher Lee on board. So apparently that movie ran out of money at some point. And you can kind of tell in some scenes like like uh, the guy that they got to play Van Helsing. They obviously couldn't afford him. So there's a, a quite a few scenes where he's just like off camera talking to them. And it's very clearly it's very clear. He is like not even in the same room as them. Like they filmed it completely elsewhere. Some of the special effects like when Dracula turns into a bat. Uh, it's literally like a camera dissolve, and then there's like a bat on a string that flies away. It doesn't even flap. <laughs> it's just kind of like away. Close it enough. was, 
It was terrible. And it was one of those faithful adaptations where they just like let shots linger way too long because like, well, in the book, it says they walk away here. So we got to show that. And it's like, no, no, don't show that. And then they they're not faithful in other ways. Oddly enough, it's one of the few movies that has Quincy Morris in it. They they that is the most oft cut character, but they kept Quincy and they cut Dr. Jack Seward and just kind of mashed him into Van Helsing, which was an odd choice. But whatever. Roll with it. And then and then they flipped the switch. Mina was the blonde, uh, you know, voluptuous, sexy one. And Lucy was kind of the mousy, quiet one. And so, yeah, that played a little differently. And it's like, you know, for a faithful adaptation, you, you, you took some liberties. I, I, I don't get what's going on here. Like, it's, it's like this slavish, you know, oh, we have to do this because it's in the book. And then they just do other stuff because. And it's like, I, I don't understand what's going on. It's kind of terrible. But Christopher Lee was in it. And I miss that man. He, he, he was great. Even if he barely talked. The world needs a Christopher Lee or two. Yes, indeed. I'm done. Should we move on to books? Sure. I've actually been reading, Jonathan. I can't believe it. Uh, So after The Haunting of Hill House, I needed more ghosts. It was October. I needed more ghosts. So I read The Shining, the book. That's right. You were telling me about that. How did it hold up? It's probably been 30 years since I read it. It's really good. It's our main complaints about the movie, ergo that there are no characters in the movie. It's like it fixes like Kubrick nailed the kind of the, the weird dread, the weird isolating dread. Like he nailed that. But like the actual character arcs, you know, kind of elevate the whole work. <laughs> I'd highly recommend it. It ends much differently than the movie. It's a good ghost story. There were having read it after reading The Haunting of Hill House, like he he quotes verbatim Haunting of Hill House stuff at least twice in that in that book. So it was obviously on his mind and it, it felt very similar, you know, evil building, driving people mad. You know, it had that. So I'd recommend Hopefully the miniseries that he made out of it that we will be watching because we like punishing ourselves will hold up. I have a feeling it won't. Really excited about that. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, and then I'll just finish myself out because uh, it's it's uh, relevant. I went from that straight into Dr. Sleep, the book, <laughs> which was interesting. I was kind of prepared for him to like miss some nitpicky stuff about it, but apparently there's like a, a fan of his that's like really really into Stephen King and so he actually utilizes this fan <laughs> to like <laughs> double check stuff for him so uh yeah yeah no it it kind of it syncs up pretty well and it it has a bit of that Stephen King problem where like the first two acts are kind of slow <laughs> and not much happens and then it just really gets rolling but unlike say the Tommy knockers, which is 700 pages and thus there's like three, 400 pages of slow. This is a 350 page book. It's very concise and you know, n- no parts of it wear out. It's welcome. So even though he's setting up his dominoes and not much is going on, at least it's engaging. So I will give it that. It was, it was a good follow up. Have you ever read Dr. Sleep? No, I have not read Dr. Sleep yet. It, it holds up well. If you read it directly after the shining, I was surprised. It holds up really well. Like as a, as a, as a through line, like it, it does a really good job. So Thumbs up. What have you been reading? So I finished the Beastie Boys book, which, again, like I said in the last episode, is just this lovely love letter to to New York. It's a love letter to hip hop. It's a love letter to L.A. in the the, the 90s. I mean, it's just amazing. I, I highly recommend it. Even if you're just a casual Beastie Boys fan, it's, it's a phenomenal read in every way. Uh, and then when I finished that, uh, the new Lindsay Ellis book had actually come out. I read Axiom's End earlier this year pop that into my amazon cart now i'm reading that and uh that is called the truth of the divine and it's a direct sequel to axiom's end and it's really really quite good 
Yeah, I need to give that one another try. I think you'd enjoy it. I really do. Did I tell you about the sad trick I learned about my library? No, what's that? <laughs> okay. If oh, you do God, just this one trick, will I make $100 million in passive income? No, no. Okay, so I I tend to read while I'm working out on the elliptical I have, right? And so I've learned, like, if I actually want to read a book, I need to read it on the elliptical. The problem is books you get at the library, it's not very clear of, like, what version of it you're putting on hold. And if it's not the hardback, it's really hard for it to, like, rest on my elliptical because I can't really hold it while I'm working out. And so the trick I learned is if I want to read anything in particular, I should look for the large print edition first because that's always hardback. And and I feel like an old, old man for doing it, but I, I've been doing that. What's up, old timer? Yeah, that's me. Are we going to get you a jitterbug next? Nice. Do they even make those anymore? I don't know, but I sure the hell hope they do. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to video games. Uh, Robert, let's talk about what we've been playing. Guess what came out today? I don't know. Today is the 20th anniversary of Halo, and oddly enough, um, Microsoft decided to release the multiplayer uh, component of Halo Infinite early Mm. in honor of the 20th anniversary. I have been playing Halo for all 20 of those years, and so I promptly downloaded it. I actually had it pre-installed because the December 8th date was right around the corner anyway. And then I, um, yeah, I started playing it. It feels like Halo. I don't know. I've only played like three matches. I did it on my lunch break, but it uh, feels like Halo. Nice. So I need to dig into that. I'm sure there's tons and tons and tons of stuff to, to find there. But um, like I said, the first three matches went well. First match I, was a royal beating. I just had no idea what was going on. And then after that, I I, might, I found my Halo skills and remembered what a, what a beauty the pistol is. And uh, I think I went 15 and three and then um, 17 and four. Nice. Oh man, still got it. And then uh, a couple of buddies of mine and I have all been playing Back for Blood because that's on Game Pass and it's um, really fun co-op. Although recently the the development house came out and said, hey, we didn't mean to make it as hard as it is. We're going to fix that because it really <laughs> is hard. Like it's super hard. So I'll let you know how the, the patch works out once they patch it. But it's uh, really pretty to look at and it's got some really good action. So if you're a fan of the Left 4 Dead series, this is basically like Left 4 Dead 3.0. Speaking of old classic games, I guess, uh, I went ahead and beat Metroid Dread over the last month. I was shocked I was able to do it. Like, I need to go finish that, too. Man, oh my god. <laughs> that game is like, I, I get why people play Souls games, I guess, because that game was legitimately hard. Like, there were bosses I threw myself against over, I mean... I don't I don't typically have extremely long play sessions and whatnot, but yeah, there was a couple bosses. It took me there was one boss in particular, it took me three days to beat it. And it was just trial and error and not realizing what I'm doing wrong and and oh Jonathan. And those melee breakers, those melee breakers, you gotta get that down. <laughs> There's no way to beat that game without getting that down. Yeah, I haven't figured that timing out yet. I need to go sit down and really spend some quality time with that game, but there's been a lot of distractions. If if an enemy flashes, you just hit the you hit the punch button and you're done. But oh, that game's hard, Jonathan. And the last boss is real hard because most other bosses in the game have two phases basically. But he's got three because of course he does. And yeah, but it was fun. I, I had a good time. It's it's kind of it's Metroid. What do you want? It was good. What else have you been playing, Jonathan? Um, so I decided to pick up Guardians of the Galaxy. I've heard good things. It is lovely. It is 
absolutely lovely. It's a great uh, translation of the comic, and it's full of, of really neat guest characters. I don't want to ruin anything. Um, and the action is really fun. Like, it's super fun, and it's not too grindy, and I'm really loving it. And after how disappointed I was in the Avengers, it's nice to have a Marvel property really engaging me like that. It makes me happy. I also picked up the Mario collection on Switch, so I started playing through Mario Sunshine because I realized in all this time, I, I used to own Mario Sunshine on the GameCube, but I think it came out right about the same time as a Grand Theft Auto game, I think Vice City, and I think I just got enamored with Grand Theft Auto and never went back. I realized I had never beaten Sunshine, so I'm currently playing through that. Uh, speaking of the old Nintendo... The new patch and the new expansion came out for Animal Crossing, and my daughter wanted it for her birthday. And sadly, the parents are playing it more than my daughter is, because all the kids can play these days is Roblox, apparently. But Or Roblox, I apologize. But yeah, I'm digging the new Animal Crossing game. It's shocking how much time I've sunk into it in the last couple of weeks. I don't think I'm playing it for that long, but apparently I am. So yeah, I'm redoing my entire island. It's fun. And my wife is supposed to help me, but... I'm redoing my entire island. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Gina. All right. Well, and then uh, about a week ago, Forza Horizon 5 came out. And my gosh, that game is a stunner. It is beautiful. And it takes the Horizon formula and just boils it down into perfection. Uh, it is, I would say that this is a perfect game. And then finally, um, I got a copy of COD Vanguard, Call of Duty Vanguard. Which I can only call kooky. Is that the one in space? No, 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 no. It's it's supposedly at the tail end of World War II, but uh. it's not really particularly concerned with actual history. Well, <laughs> are are they ever, Jonathan? Are they? Ever? At least, at least most of the time they make a passing attempt. This is like what I can only describe as a Quentin Tarantino film in a first person shooter. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the Inglorious Bastards of. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the closest thing I can come up with. So, it, yeah, I don't know. It's not bad. I'm actually quite enjoying it. Um, the campaign's real short, uh, but the, the, the multiplayer is serviceable. And, yeah, I'm having a good time with it. It's funny. Whenever you look at the box art or any of the promotional materials for it, you, you can't see who makes that game. I wonder why. I wonder why that studio would can't take imagine the name why. off of it. Can't imagine nah. why that would have been left off the, the materials. Yeah, I know. It's almost like they're, they're trying to hide or something or make people not think about them. But I, I, you know, I, I read a bunch of stuff about, you know, not leaving the developers hanging out to try because they still work very hard on those. And so I decided that I'm siding with the developers and, and hopefully they are, are legitimately fixing their issues. There's a wow guy that had an interesting take on that because apparently he knows a lot of the people who work at wow. And uh, yeah, that, that was kind of his take on it is like those people who are working on the game, they're the ones not saying boycott it. So do what you will. If you can't stomach it, then, you know, you can't stomach it. Don't play it. But, you know, if you if you can and, you know, you want to just listen to what the, the people want that are actually working on it, uh, you know, then then play it, I guess. Is that it? Are we all done with the, the video games? Yeah, I think so. I, I've got board games, but it's just the, the same board games that we're always playing. Railroad Inc., Seven Wonders, the other one. Yeah, my list of my list of board games is weird because... We have one thing that we already reviewed, Descent, which is awesome. Um, and I'm continuing to play through with Ray. And then there's a couple other things, uh, Unmatched, which we have on our review calendar. So I also don't want to go into any detail. Just suffice it to say I'm playing them. And then Seven Wonders and Railroad Inc., which, and Welcome To, which we have all talked about to death. Yeah, pretty much. So RPGs, 
we played Delta Green. We're going to talk about it this episode. Huzzah. Are we done? <laughs> we, we are indeed. All right. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the Off the Shelf segment, which means it is now time for a break. And when we return, it'll be time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment, of which... Honestly, there's not a ton out right now. No, no. In in my side of the biz, there's like nothing. There's a lot of Kickstarters right now. That's kind of the season it is. Anyway, go on. You're first, Jonathan. You got more than I do. I've got, I've got, I got one solid story. Uh, and I have a whopping two. <laughs> yeah. So go first. We'll make right. the uh, the new sandwich. Well, we talked about Blood Bowl a lot on the show. Guess what? Dungeon Bowl is coming back. Go on. That is, a, of course, a spinoff of a Blood Bowl. As usual, all the teams are, are factions from the Warhammer universe, but in uh, Dungeon Bowl, you are basically taking your team and you're adding elements of a dungeon crawl. So you've got a big old dungeon with the hallways and all kinds of stuff. You're looking for the ball and then trying to score with it. <laughs> Fun. Yeah, it's kind of kooky. Um, I like it. The production is absolutely gorgeous, as usual. And uh, yeah, go ahead and take a look at pictures on Games Workshop's uh, website. No, uh, no release date's been announced yet, but I'm sure that's that's inevitable. Yeah, well, if they've got it up on their website, it's usually a matter of months, as in like two or three. So, yeah, this looks pretty complete. So, Pathfinder continuing to to knock it out of the park lately. They have, as of their next uh, uh, release, they are dropping the word phylactery from their vocabulary because it turns out. That in Judaism, a phylactery is one of the names to, of a small set of black leather boxes containing scrolls of parchment inscribed with verses from the Torah and are worn by observant adult Jews during the weekday morning prayers. A.K.A. Gary Gygax took a religious item from an active, existing, currently practiced religion and made it into a thing that evil necromancers jam their soul into to be immortal, which safe to say could probably be viewed as a little anti-Semitic, maybe. Probably? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So, I mean, I think we crossed over the threshold from probably on the first word of the sentence. It is. <laughs> yes. And I, I, yes, I was, I was being, uh, I was kidding. Yes. Yeah. I did not know that. I, I was unaware of that usage of the words. So yes, 
good good job out of Paizo. Uh, wizards, feel free to follow suit. <laughs> Probably a good thing. Oh, it's going to become Soul Cage. That is their new term, Soul Cage, which is perfectly fine. Adequate description of what it is. Finally in news, uh, Jamie Stegmeier is releasing another, his second uh, expansion to the game Tapestry. This is Arts and Architecture. This brings a, a variety of new stuff, including new capital city mats, a new advancement track, new cards, new tiles, more civilizations, more tapestry cards and tech cards, and more miniatures. And it looks absolutely gorgeous. The expansion will start to be detailed out starting tomorrow, actually, the 16th of November. So by the time you guys are hearing this, there should be more information available. You will be able to pre-order it through the Stonemeyer website and most likely your, your FLGS starting on December 1st. I, I, I got some good news on the shipping front, actually. I just read about this today. Apparently, uh, the cost of containers has actually gone down. It's now only $13,000 a container from a high of thirty-five. So, hooray. <laughs> I mean, considering that used to be like $3,000, yeah. we still got a long ways to go. It's something. It's something. It's a start. All right. Well, now it is time for our King in All Things segment. That is, of course, our segment where we are watching all of the Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of release date and the occasional extra. This is, of course, part six in our 39-part series. I can't believe we're already six of these in. (laughs) So this is the fifth film in the series, 1984's Firestarter. And I know you have a director uh, listed here, but I'm pretty sure we could just say Toddler X. Because it's <laughs> direction is such a strong word. It is. It is. Directed by Mark L. Lester with a budget of $12 million, it made $17 million. Yeah, I see why. I, oh, I, I, uh, I was really complaining about this movie all day to you. It's terrible. It's, I mean, look, let, let's cover the, the good stuff because there is some good stuff. It's true. Tangerine Dream makes a hell of a soundtrack. We can agree to disagree on that. <laughs> How dare you? Dude, I'm tired of 80s soundtracks sounding like they're made on a Casio keyboard. I think it's dumb. Like, I'm sorry. It, Dude, it may that have been... was the height of technology back then. I, I don't care if it was the height of technology back then. It sounds stupid now, you know? It does. It does. It just does. Yeah, but this was made back then. It's not made now. It made to sound like it was then. Whatever. I don't care. It, it was a bad idea then. It's a bad idea now. Nah. I liked it. I like the soundtrack. All right. It's fine. It's fine. We can agree to disagree. Okay. We're out of the good stuff. Well, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, I'll go out on a limb. I will go out on a limb. It's better than Cujo. <laughs> hey, you know what else is? Pretty much friggin' everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Look, you do have a lot of really good actors here. Like Antonio Fargus is amazing. George C. Scott is amazing. Martin Sheen is amazing. There was, these are really good actors. The problem is, like, they're just trapped in this movie. Like, I have no other way to put it. Yeah, no, there was obviously a problem in direction, because if you look at this movie and Drew Barrymore's performance compared to, say, E.T., which she did younger, I I mean, she's a kid actress, right? But a good director can get a good performance out of her, but a bad director cannot, and, and Drew Barrymore was awful in this. She was just, yeah, she was not a good little kid actress. Everybody was, though. I mean, for God's sakes, George C. Scott feels like he's calling it in. Yeah. Well, and then the, the guy they let's, got let's to play. Let's not even get into the whitewashing in his, in his, his part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
the the dad character, he's completely miscast. Heather Locklear, like he does not look like a somebody who could date a Heather Locklear. I'm sorry. No, it it had it, basically it had every problem that Cujo had. It looked like a made for TV movie. It was shot like a made for TV movie. And until like the last 10 minutes where she like goes Nova and just destroys everything with her mind fire powers, like it it looked like a made for TV movie. You know, because like they were filming in a house at some like the the bad guy headquarters was like a house they rented. And the problem with that was, you know, after you cram in the cameras and stuff, everything feels really tight and and claustrophobic. And it it was yeah, it was just there was just bad, bad mistakes and bad casting and bad direction. Blew their their budget completely on on the cast and maybe burning up the last couple of things. But yeah, because they set a lot of dudes on fire. That's not a cheap thing to do. People people don't like being set on fire, and it happens at least like what seven times in that end sequence. It was a lot. That was impressive. A lot of dudes on fire in that one, but still, yeah. Ugh. Like even even Moses Gunn was wasted in this, and like he's an amazing actor. He was in Heartbreak Ridge. He was in Rollerball. Like what what a cast to completely waste. Like I I just don't even know where to begin. Yeah, and you know what I almost wish like John Carpenter got the option to direct this and they they turned him down or he went to Christine and it's like, you know, script like there actually isn't much of a problem with this movie's script. And with an adequate no, the script is in the issue, it's the performances. Yeah, and the direction. And it's like if Carpenter was helming this one because Christine was only kind of ho hum because it had a lot of script problems, but like if you put Carpenter on this film Maybe the script problems yeah. aren't there and maybe it would still like, a better it, film. It's interesting that you say that. Like they these are polar opposite films. Like Christine had no direction problems and, and was actually competently put together and, and quite pretty to look at and and it suffered from an absolutely terrible script. And this has the exact polar opposite. Like there's a good movie in between these two somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I, I hate this movie. I, I don't hate it as much as I hated Cujo, but mm. It's garbage. It's absolute garbage. Yeah. We'll tell you what. Speaking I'm, of garbage, what's next? <laughs> Silver Bullet. And I, oh, I remember watching oh, this Oh, we're one. so screwed. I actually remember this and I, I don't have kind memories. Oh, well, I remember it being kind of cheeseball awesome. Like it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bad horror movie, but it's kind of a good bad horror movie. I mean, it's got Terry O'Quinn in it. How bad can it be? <laughs> and, and, and one, and Busey, man, Busey's in it. Come on. And Corey Haim and and hey, don't forget, you know Everett McGill, the OG Stilgar is in there. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, man, hopefully, cross. Your name is a killing word, Usul. <laughs> I, I got my fingers crossed. I remember watching it and just being and and it was like, it was a stupid movie, but there was something kind of enjoyably stupid about it, and I remember kind of liking that. So, but then again, I was, gosh, I was like twelve maybe when I saw it or thirteen. It was kind of early in my horror fixation. So I, I was not terribly genre savvy at the time and my standards were definitely, definitely low. <laughs> I watched the trailer and let me tell you, it's as bad as you remember. Well, hopefully it's a good bad. Cause here's the thing. Here's the thing. And here's the problem with Firestarter and Cujo. They were both boring movies <laughs> and I'm okay. If, if, if Firestarter was actually fun and not boring, and still that bad, it still would have been a fun ride. It's just, I, 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 I don't get how filmmakers in any, in any day can make the cardinal sin of making an action or horror movie boring. Like even if it's terrible, just don't make it boring. I mean, for Christ's sake, Mano's hands of fate isn't boring because it's just such cuckoo banana pants. Like, 
I'm I, I'm I, I I'm hoping I will be pleasantly surprised because I yeah. All right. Well, then that means it's time for our year in the life segment, which means we're gonna look back at our way back machine and look at what we were doing a year ago in Forgot My Dice ninety eight. Unknown quantum state. Uh, we were we did a deep dive of Marvel United. I like that game a lot. It's hit my table a lot in the last year, much more than the average game. I think a big part of that is because it's so quick and easy to play, and it's quick to teach, but it's still deep enough that you get a lot of love in it. And with all the expansions, you get just so much game. I'm also really excited because the X-Men version's coming soon. I, I did order that. Although with shipping being what it is right now, I might just need to go ahead and understand that it might not be here for another year and a half. Yeah, I um, I had a Kickstarter that was in an inaccessible part of the Port of Seattle for over a month. It just got there. What else were we doing? Our Bond movie was The World Is Not Enough. Mm. As it turns out, it was. Wow, and you know what? Oh my God, Jonathan, you're going to like hearing this. Are you ready for it? Have you taken a deep breath? Are you sitting down? I am. That was when we watched Zardoz. Oh, shit. <laughs> It's been a year since I poured that poison into my veins. <laughs> yes. Yes, it has. God, I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> uh, no regrets, buddy. I have absolutely no regrets for watching that movie. It was... Sardoz speaks to you, his chosen ones. <laughs> the gun is good. <laughs> The scariest part is that's basically what it's like to live in Texas sometimes. Have I mentioned lately, Jonathan, I'm really glad I left. Just, just it's fantastic. That was a good choice I made. Just saying. Yeah, you're not wrong. You know, you know what we've been dealing with here? A little rain. It's been, it's been that rainy, that Oregon rainy, you know, just above a drizzle. Dude, I, there's bad, bad flooding up in Vancouver right now. Mm, yeah, that's true. It's been pretty bad up north. But around here, it's been very pleasant. Anyway, I think that's it, man. I think I think we can move on. Ah, Zardoz. Zardoz! I want that one quote. The gun is good. The penis the is, is evil. Ha 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 ha! There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Zardoz. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> this guy wrote a review article about, like, reviewing Zardoz again. And the title of this thing is, it's from the Chicago Reader. Zardoz has spoken and your penis may never be the same. <laughs> oh, it is weird. The more common side effects of Zardoz include abnormal eye movements, clumsiness or unsteadiness, constipation, diarrhea, potential death, dry mouth, nausea, Zardoz. Ask for it at your doctor's office. <laughs> Set in the year 2293, in which Sean Connery struts around in a ponytail and a porn mustache, wearing a red bandolero across his bare chest, red hot pants, and a black leather boots up to his thighs. At this point in his career, Connery had just sworn off playing James Bond because he thought the character was becoming a joke. So go figure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's correct. (laughs) That was an interesting choice he made. I want to play something that's not James Bond. I've, I've got this weird, goofy something script. Something tells me that he got to the first day that's on set and he just went, shit. <laughs> oh, cr- crap. All right, all right, all right. Let's move on. Let's move on. Play us out, Jonathan. Segment's over. Go home. 
That brings us to the end of our year in life segment, which means it is time for another break. And when we return, it'll be a deep dive. We will see you in a moment. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. And before we get started with the next segment, we wanted to remind you that we are listing our our Stephen King movies on the... Okay, give us the official name, Robert. It is A King in All Things List of Goodness, a list of Stephen King films we watched in the order of most goodest to least goodest. And where do we sit right now? Uh, We have six entries. Number one, Salem's Lot. Number two, The Dead Zone. Number three, Christine. Number four, Firestarter. Number five, Cujo. And number six is Carrie. So there you go. There you go. We just wanted to remind you that we have this list and we'll be updating it every episode. Yeah, I should post it on Discord because I could I could set it to a, a read only thing. I just need to like. Yeah, absolutely. You should. We'll get that done. All right. Well, now it is time for our last segment, the deep dive. And today we'll be deep diving impossible landscapes, a volume of secret faces like a map made of skin. The end of the world of the end. So normally, because this is more my thing, I would uh, I would force you, Jonathan, to read this. But your voice is all for- borked up, so I'm going to do this for you. You're welcome. Give me the water. Do you Do you want to do it with your ra- actually maybe with your raspy voice? It might this might work. You know what? You know what? Do you want to take a stab at this? At the I'll give it a stab. You know what? Yeah, your your voice might might do this better. This book has teeth, but one of you must eat it. Chew it and swallow it in the act as the book might act. This is no small trick. Then there's the dance. Once the dance begins, others arrive. It's their job to pretend to be someone else, but to feel real fear. As they act, they dance. They dance with the person that has become the book. They dance with their real fear. They dance around a table, and a story is told in the tracks of their steps. Let us not forget the dice. The dice sing, the dice sing of opening doors and brains spraying across walls and the translation of books. The song of the dice lets you climb burning tapestries and scream and go mad and hide, weeping in the dark as marionettes spin. The dice sing a tune which the false people dance while the book inside leads you all on. And whether you want to or not, You dance, we dance, we all dance hand in hand until the end of the world. I was right. I was right. Yeah. The voice sold that. I like it. I like it. (laughs) Good, because I burned out what little I got left. Okay. So super duper spoiler uh, thing. We are, so part one of this, we did the night floors. This is part two where we're going to talk about running and playing in basically the back half of the book because it's all one super long adventure Cause that's a problem. We'll get into that. But yes, if you're thinking about running, well, if you're thinking about playing in impossible landscapes, turn us off. We're you're, you're done. You don't want to hear this. We're, we're not going to hold back. So there you go. So why are we doing this? Jonathan, as last time, the adventures complex. We're here to help. It's super complex. 
Yeah. And the back half of the book for us, we literally wove in it all over the place. <laughs> like, like it was not even, we didn't even play all the three adventures in order. We bounced between them quite a bit. So, so quick overview. Uh, when we did a volume of secret faces, most of that was, uh, us in the, uh, the Dorchester house, a, an insane asylum that had been taken over by the yellow King and weird stuff happened there. And you got a cameo from Mr. Wild who is in the book, the King in yellow, which is fun Easter eggs, I guess. Uh, after you escape the, uh, the King in yellow insane asylum, it goes to like a map made of skin where you are increasingly hounded by gas mask killers until you get to the hotel broad Albin. And from the whole hotel broad Albin, you go to actual factual Carcosa in the end of the world of the end, where you go to the masquerade at the end of time and space. And you watch the, the last act of the play happen basically in real time. I got my opinions, Jonathan, as a player though, what, what worked about the back half of this game and what maybe didn't work so hot? I mean, a lot of it works. The setup works. Everything works. I mean, like it's such a neat world to play in. It's, it's, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It, the, the insanity is, is especially fun. I think it's easier to talk about what didn't work. And one of the hardest things for me as a player was just keeping track of everything. There's just so much. It's so dense. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that complaint from multi- multiple people from both the players of my game who obviously had a good time and even not like they drop a ton of names. So many to the point where it's impossible to keep them all all straight. Like it felt like sometimes our sessions would be 20 percent arguing about who we were talking about. Yeah, it is a little too much like and I, I even know you. I, I know you're a note taker when you play these games and, and you were having problems, which it was a lot, man. It's just so much. Yeah. Wait until you actually read the book and you realize I cut out about uh, two thirds to three quarters of the names that they drop. <laughs> it's 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 a lot. Um, or at least I didn't I didn't go into them all that much. I don't know if I said this in the first. Well, OK. Well, OK, we'll go over to me. What what worked for me? Um, I don't know. The adventure is a really good read. I'm really curious how, how what your take of this will be after you read the book which we'll, we'll talk about in two episodes from now, but uh, yeah, like it's a really interesting read and like it is very different and it's hard to wrap your head around. Uh, what didn't work for me was I was noticing that when weird stuff would happen, like King and yellow surreal weird stuff, I was starting to feel like even with you and my wife were really enjoying it. I, we were starting to get diminishing returns on weird because at some point it's just not weird anymore. Well, I mean, like anything, you get used to it. I mean, the same would happen with real people. There's a point where they're like, they're so used to seeing the unexpected that the unexpected is the new normal. And uh, it was funny though, because Gina and I were talking about that <laughs> later, and and I asked her like, look, looking at your character from an exterior point of view, um, was your character crazy? And, and she was like, well, no, no, this stuff was happening. I'm like, yeah, but if you walked up to somebody on the street. And you said to yourself, oh, yeah, I got to be careful because every so often a room in the upstairs turns into a theater projector and guys wearing gas masks wielding shotguns come out of doors and try to hunt me. Like, people would think you're, you're crazy. I wish it was something that somehow got across more, but like, or maybe I just failed at it. But what's neat about the adventure is it's about the king in yellow and it's about people reading a book that drives you insane. And the thing about when you're insane you know you don't you don't think you're you are you think you're getting you, you think you're right 
And you guys completely thought everything you were doing was legitimate. But from an exterior point of view, you guys were just as nuts. And you were you were people getting more and more obsessed about this book. I see. I tried to play into that. I tried to have my character embrace the obsession. Well, good. I got it across to somebody because Gina didn't see that. But yeah, yeah. Like ultimately, that's what the story is about. It's the Kin Yellow is a book that makes people obsessed about it. So there's a feedback question for you real quick while we're on that subject. Did, uh-huh. did I do a good job of as as a player of letting letting you know that my character was had become obsessed and was seeing it through? Yeah, I mean, I saw it a little bit because you'd bring it up occasionally, but yeah, it's just in kind of the the morass of everything going on. I, I think I missed some of that. Well, I was I was trying to do a setup, right? So like real early in the uh, when we were first creating characters, you asked me to create something that was that only I knew and you knew. And the whole point was that it was hidden from the rest of the, the playable characters. And mine was that I had a, a, a daughter who was half human and half fish person. And I was I was trying to I was trying to show without you know be without being so obvious that I let the the rest of the group in on my secret. I was trying to show that the actions of my character were, were a detriment because he was basically ignoring the needs of his family, his daughter, who he was trying to keep safe. And he was doing so, you know, because he had become so obsessed with this case. Okay, that's interesting because that goes back to two thoughts I have on running this. Because between the first adventure of the Night Floors and the second half or the second three quarters of the book, there's there's a 20-year time jump. And I think that's a mistake. Yeah, I agree. I didn't, it didn't need to be so severe. Yeah, and at the very least, if you have the time and the ability, I would recommend running two or three other adventures to show that time break because I, I completely, you're right. I honestly, I, I missed, I missed the boat on your your daughter character, and honestly, I screwed something up because because I allowed her to be part fish person, which is another part of the Cthulhu mythos. It was hard for me to connect that into the the king and yellow stuff and i should have steered you towards that instead somehow oh yeah i would have totally followed you if you steered me sorry i i I just didn't think about it at the time but i i had a hard time connecting dots to that character because of that and again that was that was a mistake i made but that's something to keep in mind like if you have other elements of the cthulhu mythos woven into your game like focusing this hard on the king and yellow is is weird and difficult because that's what it's about. And if you're going to run anything in the 20 years in between, you really need to make sure that it's kind of standalone stuff that doesn't have any super duper obvious Cthulhu stuff going on. That would be my recommendation for that because you don't want to like muddy the waters and that's inadvertently what I allowed to happen of which I apologize. No, no worries. We're always learning. Yeah. I really couldn't think of what to do with your stuff and I, I was having problems with it. And then you know, I, and I, I would get ideas for other people and I, I would forget about you and it kind of sucked and I apologize. Going in the front of the adventure from a mental institution that exists partially in this surreal world to at the end of it, literally going to actual factual Carcosa. Did all that story flow together well? Was it a transit? I, I don't know. Like how, it, how'd that play out for you? It feels somewhat disjointed and I think that that would be one one thing that I would, and, and you'll have to tell me if this is just the way we ran it or um, this is an issue with the book, but it doesn't feel like there's a good solid connective tissue between the, between the two, between the sections, I should say. I'd agree with that to an extent. I've noticed that uh, Dennis Dittweiler, who's the main writer on this in general, 
he writes a lot of adventures where he gives you like a setup and like a timeline of events. And then for the finale, he just kind of like throws it in your lap and says, make it cool. And yeah, like this, this definitely had a bit of that problem. Like there was a series of events and wow, I just made my desk raise because I hit the desk raising button. (laughs) Um, There was a series of events, but like, you know, and we talked about this in the last time too, like the actual connective tissue between some of these things isn't entirely there. It's kind of up to you, the person running it to think that through. And if you don't or miss something, or in my case, I screwed up a couple of times and I had thought of connective tissue and then I forgot about it when we were actually playing. Uh, it's bad. It's hard to run. But see, to me, that's an issue with the module because they need to take that into account. I agree. It is one of the shortcomings with the book. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I'll be really interested. I, I, I'm really interested in this next part where you actually read it too and see what I had to work with and, and how that all comes together. That'll be an interesting conversation for next time. My takeaway from it was the adventure has a lot of really interesting like vignettes and set pieces and, and they're extremely interesting. And like, because things get all weird with time and stuff, like you can participate in some of that history. Like when, um, Gina figured out that in the timeline that I'd given you guys, as you guys were doing research that very, very, very early on in it, I mentioned that at the 1890s performance of the King in yellow, people stormed on stage and drew guns and they were wearing weird clothes. Uh, and then that happened to you guys (laughs) and it was you that whole time. Like her, she was like, whoa. And she's like, did you add that? And I'm like, no, that's been there since I I wrote it down the first time. Like I knew that was coming. That's cool. Yeah. But there's so much of that where it weaves in and out of its own history. And you can tell yourself selves things that, you know, it's like, oh, this thing totally happened. And it, and then it turns out it was, it was your players did it. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I just wish it would weave that together a little bit more obviously a, and then b like, if there was some kind of function in the module, um, you know, even if it was like a, a predetermined form for taking notes in a specific way that would let you do a better job of, of, of understanding all those connections because yeah, they're absolutely there, but there's just so much content that it's easy to get everything confused and not realize that you've doubled back on yourself. Yeah, Gina mentioned the same thing when we were talking about it, like almost having cards or something. Or I, yeah, she was kind of cooking up this whole system, and I, I told, and, and yeah, I was like, oh, it's already done. It's after the fact, but yeah, yeah. There's just a lot there, and it's really deep. And it, it, I guess it would reward the type of players who are are really note takey, like detail lore oriented players, because like the lore is so dense that there's a lot to dig into if you want. But a couple of our players were, you know, more of the, I mean, one of them straight up said like he doesn't like modern games because he finds them hard to role play because they're kind of boring. And that is not the type of person you should probably be having in, in this game because it's just not going to. No, this is not a module for everybody. Absolutely not. I think another one of the problems is the last three adventures. I, I think honestly, it's bad Delta Green because the Delta Green rule set, if you remember when we reviewed it, one of the things you're supposed to do is you're supposed to run a, quote, a home segment where it it's not a game. It's not like Cthulhu where it's a game of you going crazy, you know, telling your story in a mental institution like Lovecraft stories. It's a game about your you sacrificing basically your personal life like and your humanity and everything that makes you you 
but not not your mind necessarily, but just you know your relationships and all of that. That's see, what you that's, sacrifice. That's what I was trying to set up because I remember that from the rule set, and I really wanted to lean into that. Right, but you don't have any opportunity to because since all the last third or two thirds of the book, it all happens in one straight shot. There's no gaps. Yeah, you know. And again, that that is definitely an issue. Yeah, and and it's not very. It, it would work for Call of Cthulhu just fine. But in a game where you're, you're supposed to have gaps, you're supposed to show those frayings happen. Having it happen once in a 20 year jump is it just doesn't work. It's it's a failure. And it's funny because they're billing it as the this is the first big book Delta Green adventure. And it's like and it's not a good Delta Green adventure. It's it's good. Don't get me wrong. But for the rule set that they wrote, he didn't make it for the rule set that he wrote, he, he, you could tell that this was coming together when he was playing call of Cthulhu before he had like Delta green rules. Yeah. And they, they should have changed that frankly. Like it, it's, I, I mean, I hate to say it. It's, it's a bad Delta green adventure. It does not emphasize what makes the Delta green RPG interesting at all. And, and it's different than the core Cthulhu rule set, which is sad. Like, cause it, it is actually a very good adventure. And if you were playing it more with, uh, you know, the standard call of Cthulhu stuff, and, you know, you dropped your bonds and you, that wasn't a big issue, then it, it would work a lot better, honestly. Yeah, and I'd say that, that that's a missed opportunity for this module because given the timeline of everything, that would have had a greater impact. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, that's why I think you should actually run adventures in the gap. Yeah, I think I think so. And I, I wish there was a way to break up that the last act. Like, even if you had another time jump of a year or two or something just to... So, just something just to yeah having it back to back like that is a huge mistake and it, it doesn't let any of your actions and choices have impact right right i agree i agree that was a problem and and, and here's the the sad part too like uh, the last two adventures especially i just didn't do so much that they had i i didn't even bother with a lot of the content because where we were at at the adventure we were screaming towards the climax you know and it's like just holding off the climax at that point just seemed like needlessly holding off the climax and narratively that's where we were at, you know? Well, and it, it, you know, there's something to be said about narrative pacing. And if, if you had backed away from the climax and we would have come back to it later, that to me would have, would have been a huge negative. So I'm glad you did what you did. I, I am too. It just, it's the flow of the story. It seemed like the right point. So basically the flow of the adventure is there's a 20 year gap. You get into a spooky insane asylum after possibly doing some research. And then after you get out of that, institute like things have really changed because like the the king in yellow really wants you to come play in carcosa at that point and he's actively trying to get you there as opposed to previously where it's it's a little bit more passive and there's just there's a couple of narrative things that i don't think i got across in it and i think that'll be more of a conversation for next time but i i do have to say that for, for this module to really fire on all cylinders you you really need to pick your players carefully because it's it's not for everybody and and if you're gonna to maximize the story you need to have players who are are a gonna play the character without a doubt and b who are gonna be patient enough to let it unfold you know the the person who didn't like playing modern day stuff they started just acting like they were a character in a horror movie and i don't think that really worked either no it really didn't and i mean on honestly i i felt like several of the story beats were were, were forced because that person was kind of like artificially uh, forcing the story forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. So, Jonathan, 
Is there anything you want to add about the back half of the campaign that we did not chat about? No, I think that's that's a fair look at what works and what doesn't. I mean, it, it's not perfect. And, and the irony is, is that one of the biggest reasons why it, it stumbles a little bit as a campaign is that it backs away from its own system. Ironic, right? There, there is a lot, a lot of content. And it's easy to get seduced of throwing everything you can and getting your value out of the book. And I'm telling you right now, Jonathan, we did not do probably about half of what I could have if I had chosen to, if I, because I could have forced the issue. But the thing is for one narratively, that doesn't always work. Like, you know, there's this, there's this, there's this part I wish we had done. I basically, I, I, there's a part where you guys went back to that, that apartment to see what was up. Um, there's actually two things I could have run and I love them both. I just love the one we did a little bit more, but narratively speaking, like doing everything isn't in the best interest of the story. This campaign is a lot more of, well, I call it a diamond. It's like a diamond sandbox, (laughs) but in the middle, there's a lot of stuff you can do, but you got to really be driving towards the conclusion. And what I tapped into in that was, during the first adventure in the night floors, you guys got a bunch of names dumped on you. And then for the last three parts, I did everything within my power to make sure that every single name that you learned from doing the research of the first part, it came up like that uh, character came back or you actually met them, even though they were, they disappeared in the 1950s. I don't know. That's the thing I would say. It's a sandbox, especially the middle sections are a giant sandbox and don't get so seduced by all of the stuff that you could do that you just throw everything in because you do get diminishing returns on it and you do need to drive the story forward. And, and honestly, I think that's the core issue with the module. It's, it's just too dense. There's just too much. And you're right. You know, horror movies don't work when you're used to the monster horror movies. You work when, when the monster is still scary. And if the monster's walking around the entire movie and not in the shadows, you get used to it and it's not the monster anymore. It's just another character. Yeah. And then the reason I called it a diamond is because it expands out, but there is only really one conclusion to that game, which is your characters will be in Carcosa at the palace with Queen Casilda and Camilla and the stranger and all of that at the masquerade ball. That's as depicted in the, the, the fictional play, the King in yellow, like you're living that moment. And then the King in yellow shows up and he takes off his mask and the world ends. Like that is, that is the end. Your players have to arrive there. And I know the narrative point of the story and the thing he kept saying was like your players are supposed to realize that they are actually characters in that play and that they are, they have a destiny to be at a certain place at a certain time. But the problem is too, that adventure doesn't really give you the option to insert players into those character arcs or something like it is. It doesn't do a, it doesn't do an excellent job of, of, outlining the concept of uh fate versus free will man and i know i've listened to interviews with dennis and he's straight up said it like you you're you are characters destined to be at a certain place at a certain time that basically the 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 play the king in yellow the uh, big spoiler alert but basically what the players are there to do is the person who actually writes the physical play the king in yellow for the first time he cannot do it unless the players deliver him his bottle which is a thing bottles are a big deal <laughs> in the game and if, and the players are destined to bring him his bottle that is that is their role to play in this 
And because he gets his bottle, he's able to write the king in yellow, which is then the play that they've already read because it's it's very wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Yeah, and I, it's just like he he said like their characters in the play, and it's like yeah, but the problem is like for one. I, th- I think what he really needed to do was he really needed to heavily define what is actually in the King in Yellow because as you'll read next time, he doesn't. He kind of just says the broad strokes of what the play's about. Um, and that's kind of just in the sort of King in Yellow zeitgeist about what's actually in the play. Um, for my reading of it, I wanted to actually have a play I could refer to. And so there's a short story um, called More Light, which somebody t- makes an effort to actually write the play. And it's not good or mind blowing or whatever, but it basically, I used it story beats cause it had characters and names that I could borrow and that's fine. But I think he needed to, I think he needed to give his own interpretation of what the play, the King in yellow actually said, and then insert characters that you basically are embodying and somehow tie that into the adventure that you slowly discover that, you know, and that's why I, I copy, I, for our end, I copied the end of in the mouth of madness. Cause that's not from the original thing. I, I added that in, but like it in the mouth of madness is is that adventure like you know you're you're supposed to be Sam Neill's character slowly coming to realize that he's a character from a novel that was invented by an author and you know questioning what's real and what's real and did he ever actually exist for something that Dennis Ditweiler says in in interviews that that's what it's about there's like nothing in there that helps you along with that and i didn't read anything like that in it and i i think that's where the narrative thread is but he either buried it for some reason or didn't think or thought it was obvious from the text when it really wasn't. Cause I didn't get that until I, uh, until we were a session or two. I think what you just said is what it is. I think it is buried because the, the, like you were asking me for my final thoughts and I was kind of drafting them in my head. And I realized that when you said buried is, is exactly what it is because this is 140% of what it needs to be. And it just needs to lose about 40% of its mass to become something more pointed. And, and I do think that it's buried. It's buried in, in excess content. Yeah, yeah. Like the whole subplot about the, the demons from demonweb101.com. You can go to that website. It's real. Like that, I don't know why that whole subplot was in there, you know? Like I, I threw it in because I, 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 I was thinking about not doing it, but I'm like, maybe it'll make more sense later. And then it just didn't. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I agree. They're, they're, I hate to say it because I, I know full well because I've read read interviews and stuff like this thing has been cooking for the better part of a decade at this point. But it needed to cook a little bit more because I don't know that it needed to cook a bit more. I think it needed to be rendered, you know? Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like it, it, it like I know for a fact he cut out a complete chapter of it. And do you want to know where it would be where there would be this tangent adventure about finding out about people who have seen or heard about the King in yellow, but can't find a copy of the book. So they're trying to like piece together what the play is by interviewing people who have seen it. That would have happened at the hotel brought Albin. That would have been a whole sidetrack at that point. And he cut it out because it, you know, he said it didn't fit and it's like, yeah, but there's a lot more you probably should have cut out to get to the point. Cause I, I, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't get the point until he said it out loud. And by then we were almost too deep in for me to make that the point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so we're going to do our normal stuff and do a game. And then probably for our last episode of 2021, we're going to you're, you're going to read this thing. And we're going to have another chat about it because then you're going to see it from my point of view, having actually played it. And we'll see if there's any anything more to say about it at that point. <laughs> Sounds good to me. 
All right, well, that brings us to the end of episode 118 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. And Robert, any final thoughts? Yeah, I hate to say it. I, I, I was a little disappointed after all this. Like, you know what pissed me off the most about having played this? I couldn't tell if I failed as a game master, if the players who weren't having fun were somehow screwing everything up or if the adventure wasn't right. I don't think <laughs> like, it was your failure. I do think that the adventure has some issues and I do think that we didn't have a, a full cast. Like two of our folks, it's, this is just not the game type for them. Yeah. No, it was just frustrating. I don't know. I, I've, I've been trying to keep it out of my voice when I talk about it. I'm, I am so glad we're done. It's just, it's so you sound that you seem frustrated, but I know you pretty well, so I don't know. Yeah, I was just it it just cuz like reading it it's it's it seems like it's so brilliant and just not being able to capture that and present it to you guys was really frustrating cuz I I I never had a good hold on it. And I I definitely lost it at, a, at least a couple of points if not for the back half of the game and it was just really frustrating. All right, Robert, well that brings us to our very last thing and that is to be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. I made it. You did. I'm very proud of you. Oh, man, I'm going to be feeling this in the morning. Yeah, go have some tea. (laughs) Have all the tea. With honey. Have it with honey. Mm. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. 